some more. This, this is the uh, uh, entering into some like personal, what do we do with this stuff in this chapter? So it's, it's taking us in a, a direction that, that says this is, this is how we can tell if we're, we belong to the Lord and, and if we're doing what he's called us to do and what, what do we know about him and about this relationship. So chapter 2 of 1 John, that's where we're at. And uh, we'll dig into this um, chapter, but let's pray first. Lord, thanks, thanks for your uh, patience with us, for your willingness to come into this world and make yourself known and then draw us to yourself and, and then to keep reaching out through your word, through the spirit, through the creation around us through other people. You have just done an amazing thing. Thank you for all of that and that we have a chance to to know you at all. What a blessing that is. And uh, and we look forward to increasing our fellowship with you and with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So this one is Remain in Fellowship with God, Chapter 2 of... First John. So we'll take a look. We'll take a look at that. We've got some uh, sort of introductory things to hit before we get there. So we wrapped up chapter one with the idea of sin entering in that those who know the Lord may uh, find themselves at times committing a sin and that 
that if we confess it, if we own it, if we go to the Lord with it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he wraps up with that, uh, letting us know that that's the deal. And if we say that we never sinned, then, then we're lying and we don't get it. So then we pick that up in chapter 2. So we're, we're going to look at this fellowship thing because this is about the fellowship. So broken fellowship... And what he talks about is sin. So sin becomes an issue in all of this. And that broken fellowship is what happened with Adam and Eve at the beginning. Because he said, if you, if you take, if you disobey, if you betray me, then and, and take that fruit, you're going to die. Well, it's the death of a relationship. It's a distancing from God himself. It's a um, breaking down of the possibilities of the things that, that those two were designed for, that humanity was designed for in a relationship with God. And what, what all that, that people were supposed to do on the planet just got messed up. And that still happens. So sin is still that way. So uh, sin is betraying loyalty. Uh, instead of really just following through and and being faithful to God, it's, nope, no, I'm going to do my own thing. It's rejecting relationship. It's saying, I don't care what you tell me. Um, i got something better to do. I've got more important things. And uh, I really don't, I just don't want to hear it. And and betraying loyalty and, and breaking that relationship is just sticking a knife in the back of the God who created and loved us, loved Adam and Eve. It just, uh, that sin is still still an issue, violating truth. So God has given us truth, said, here, here you go, follow this path, and it will go well with you. And we can enjoy that. But that's, you know... Still today, we'll break fellowship and go our own direction, turning to darkness. I mean, just absolutely pursuing it. And it can be all kinds of things. It can be envy of someone else. It can be anger over some small thing. And it could be a big one, but often it starts very small and just being irritated with somebody and then allowing that to get bigger and bigger. And we turn to the darkness and... The whole Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' way of saying, this is how you stop that. You get this thing right inside, and then you don't have those desires to start down the road with anger or lust or uh, stealing. All of those things go away, so you don't even run down that path. But as human beings who are betraying loyalty and rejecting the relationship with God... Going after darkness seems like, wow, that's, that's really a good way to go. I think I'll just go there. So that creates a problem. So we've got this violation that's happened. And uh, fortunately, and this is so good in chapter 2, we've got Jesus. And he is uh, our advocate, we we're told. He is... The righteous one. He's right with God. He does the right things. He is right in himself and in relationships and in loyalty. All of those things are are there. And then he is also the sacrifice. So picture a courtroom where your attorney is standing up for you against the accusations made because you've sinned or you've violated the law. And that Advocate, that lawyer is standing up for you, and then when the the judgment is handed down, he's the one who goes to jail or he goes to be executed. That's that's what this is telling us, and he is the one. He's the advocate. He's righteous, no sin, no betrayal. He's always loyal, and he's the sacrifice. That's pretty impressive, and he has a smile on his face with all of that. So, you know, that's, that's, the, that's where we're coming into this, First John 2. 
So, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, there's a tender concern for spiritual children. Remember, we're talking about John, last of the disciples. He is up in years. This is written about 90 toward the end of the first century. And Jesus has died back in 33. So we've got some, we've got some years. And he is the guy, the only one left, but he's calling everybody he knows kids. So these spiritual children, and he has a tender concern as he's writing this letter to the churches. And then he is also uh, experienced enough to know people will uh, have a tendency to sin. So there's a tendency to sin, and that's met with an advocate. So he's putting those things together. He's being tender, but also recognizing that tendency that exists. A tendency to sin is met with an advocate. So we've got both of those. So let me read that to you from those two verses. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. That's amazing. That Just that whole uh, statement and who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished. He has taken the sins, the sin, our sins, all of our sins from the get-go till the day we breathe our last, all of them, he's taken. He's atoned. All the world. That leaves one thing that has to be done. That's to believe in him to come to a right relationship with the living God. And that, that doesn't mean that there's not some other things we have to do in terms of consequences and other issues, but it's not, it's not that they're not paid for. But the one who paid for them now needs to be believed in. So there must be believing loyalty. There must be a, um, a desire to follow him to... Accept him to do what he says, to recognize the truth that he represents and presents, and turning away from darkness. All of those things are elements of this, which is all good for us. But he is Jesus Christ, the one who's truly righteous. He's the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Wow. So... Let me see how many of you, you don't have to raise hands on this, but there's a tendency even among Christians who believe that coming to Jesus is by faith and not works. It's not, it, you don't get to heaven by, by your good deeds. Saying that, on the other hand, when we start thinking about somebody who ought to be allowed into heaven, if it's one of our kids, if it's somebody that we know or a friend, and you go, you know, they've always been pretty good. They don't believe in Jesus. But, you know, they're, they're, they haven't been hostile, but, you know, they're just, they're just pretty good. They worked hard, and they were nice to people and stuff. So, you know, on the scale of things, God should just let them into heaven. And you know it's based on whether or not you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has been the one who paid the penalty for those sins and said, here's one thing. I paid that. You can't earn it. I paid it. When is Jesus coming back? Is it based on what we do? Or is it based on God's will when he has brought his people, his family together? And we're we're getting all kinds, there's people who have all kinds of theories on that. But I guarantee you, if you watch the news and you see bad things happening, or you don't like what's happening in this country or any other country, we're back to the scales. If it's bad, Jesus has got to be coming. Because Jesus is operating on the basis of how bad we get. Where do we get that? Let me tell you where you don't find that. 
So where do we get it? Where do we get those ideas in our heads? We just read that Jesus paid how many sins? Just a handful? All. For who? So we're done. How bad can it get? He paid for them. Is that the reason he's coming back? No. Dang it. I've got to learn new stuff. I hate this. Okay. It's amazing what he's done. He's paid the penalty. He has atoned. He has done amazing things, and he's offering life to us and the people around us and around the world. It is incredible. That doesn't mean everybody gets saved because this has happened, but it's, it's made it possible for us to do that in a, in a unique way. So it's changed. It's 2,000 years is different than the previous. It, it was always faith in God. It was always loyalty. It was always following him. All of those things were part of it. But he changed some things up because he paid the penalty for all of us. So then we go to divine display. Divine display. And uh, we're looking at something here. In, this is verses 3 through 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone says or claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did, which was in loyalty and faithfulness and keeping the commandments. That's how Jesus did that. Now, he knows we're going to sin. He already covered that right up front. Those things will happen. But he gives us an out in the sense of we bring that to him and he forgives us and we move forward. It doesn't mean we, we just lightly say, oh, well, I'm sorry, you know, my bad. And we just go do whatever we were in the first place. Nope. This is a repenting, turning, becoming loyal and recognizing the reality of the life that's available to us in God. So... If we obey his commandments, we can be sure that we know him. So that whole idea of knowing him is the key. Because, in, in fact, that's what we're calling this, that, that you may know, because there's this, it's a repeated phrase with John. In First in John, it's also in the Gospel of John. And, and he says, I've written this so you can know that you have a relationship with God, or that you can have a relationship with God. I'm, I want you to have this information and for him it's not know about it's not information so that you can check a box somewhere and say well i you know i read that book in in senior english but you really just kind of flip the pages and uh, somehow pass the test and called it good you don't have a clue you don't remember and he said, no, that's not it. This is about coming into a relationship with the living God with these truths obediently and being transformed by them, embracing them so that they become part of who you are. So that's what he's, he's talking about. This is, this is following through, obeying his commandments. And we've got to know what those are. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, eh, it's not living in the truth. So we've got to know the commandments. We have to embrace them, and then we have to live them out. And that proves how much we love him, which is the number one thing, to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, number one. How do we do that? By obeying. So this, this becomes pretty... Pretty cool. Uh, interesting little uh, tidbit here. We reveal that we love our God by finding out what those things are and doing them. That opens the doorway for God's relationship with us. That's why that image on the screen is of the portal. So that 
power from God is coming from him. That love from God is coming from him. He is observing us. He's everywhere present, so he can see, he can check on us. But he also has agents, and they are... They have notepads, and they keep records, and they, they're keeping an eye on us. And so are you obeying? Are you feeling an obligation, and you're just going through the motions? Or is this from your heart? Is this you being reflected in such a way that your actions, whether anybody else is there to applaud you or not, is truly done in order to show your love for him? Is it obedience out of love? Is it a real relationship that's just flowing from who you are? He's watching. He's observing from heaven. He's responding to that love. And he wants to love us. We have an advocate with the Father. When does he advocate? We kind of need it a lot. So there's an interaction. Now the portal's not a real thing. I just... But I had to have some kind of image, so I made that one. <laughs> so that's what you get. To know is to recognize that he is involved with us. He's, he is with us, and he's observing, and he wants us to be on track with him. So he's invited us to love him, obey what he says, and uh, enjoy this relationship. So we want to be, as followers of Christ, loyal and Involved in that relationship, not rejecting truth, but embracing it and uh, turning away from darkness, getting closer to him. And you kind of get more of those things popping up when we when we look at this. This, this is the uh, the section uh, verses seven through 14, first John two, seven through 14. And this is love and light. And you're going to see this in terms of the relationship with people that starts showing up here. Uh, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet it's also new. So we had the love God one in the previous verses. Now we have love one another. It's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. He's actually just patting these guys on the back and saying, you guys, are, you're walking with the Lord, and something's happening. How do you get rid of the darkness? The way you get rid of the darkness is turn on the lights. When do you turn on the lights, or how do you turn on the lights? In the spiritual sense, it's by letting the living God live in us, and his light is, is, is turned on in, inside of us and flows through us, in such a way that the darkness is pushed out, pushed away. So when Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, don't let anger get a hold of you. Don't come up with all the words you can think of to call somebody. Uh, that's murder. I mean, he, he jumps it all the way to the end. Because you know, if you just stop it before you ever get there, you don't murder anyone. You can actually love people. Well, how does that happen? You've got to have the light inside. The light has to be generating in here. And that's what he's talking about with this, is, is this uh, light that comes that is inside. And as that darkness is uh, around us in the culture or in our thinking or in the things we've, we do, the, the light starts to shine. And then that darkness is disappearing. Imagine that if you have 10 or 15 people who are walking with the Lord and the light is shining. Now you've got a community of people and that light is making a difference. What if you have 100 or 1,000 and that light is shining and that light is shining between them and that light of God is coming in on top of them and now they, as they enter into the community, uh, the broader community, the darkness is pushed away. It doesn't really go away just because the Senate or the Congress approves something. It goes away because the light is inside, and it begins to change people from the inside out. And he's talking about this, this, this is the true light. It's already sh- shining. Verse 9, if anyone claims, I am living in the light, but hates a Christian brother or sister... 
that person is still living in darkness. Still living in darkness. Well, how can that be? Because, you know, Christians have feelings, and, and they ought to have a right just to hate people, not like people, don't forgive people, be angry, be ticked off, always disappointed. Y'all ever run into that? You don't have to raise your hand and say names or anything. Just, I'm living in the light, but I'm struggling because the darkness is in me. And I'm struggling with how to deal with other people. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. What? Just by living in the light. It's, it's love and light working inside of us because God has revealed himself and through Jesus taken that junk out that was there because he paid the penalty on the cross. He's our advocate. He's standing up for us. And he's imparted into us something different so we can think different. We can feel different. We can respond to other people differently. And when we do that, we're not causing other people to stumble. We're not the cause. That it's, it's an opportunity for people to see that's, that's the light of Christ on someone. Maybe I need that. Maybe there's something there that could really make a difference in my life. So anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. Because that darkness is allowed in. We, we, have, we have the light in us because of what God has done and made alive within us. So the only way the darkness can come is we betray him. We turn off the light. We allow that to take hold. And we allow it to get such a hold that anger turns to bitterness and unforgiveness becomes set as stone and hatred becomes as easy for us as just getting a glass of water because it's just how we're designed. The darkness takes over. And he's saying, I'm going to give you something different. I'm going to free you from all of that. I paid the penalty. I paid the price. I have been the sacrifice. And now if you come to me and you admit your sin, then I will forgive you, cleanse you, and the light can shine again. And you can go back into those relationships in a new way. But that means actually obedience, which is the issue we've already come across. We have to obey the truth. That shows that we love him. That love comes into us. The light begins to shine, and it makes a difference. That's where it comes from. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. See? There it is. I am writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written... To you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts. And you have won your battle with the evil one. And he's, he's giving them kudos for the, for the faith that they have and the walk that they've had and that they've matured in Christ and that they, they've continued on. And he's tying all of that, putting all that together. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Christ. And you just start with, wow, okay. And they get it. They understand that, that Christ existed from the beginning and that there's a battle with the evil one. And let's not move on too quickly from that because the idea, the Christ, Christos is the Greek word for Messiah, Hamashiach, 
That's a, the Hebrew term. And so we're dealing with something that has, has to do with uh, ancient things that God has set in motion from earliest times. And he's bringing a deliverer. He's bringing someone for Israel. But Israel is to be bringing this truth to the nations. So this is for the whole world, for all people. And, and the Messiah is coming. He's the anointed one. He is, which is what Messiah means or Christ. So the anointed one, God has chosen to accomplish some great things. We're going to see him show up in, in uh, uh, another way in just a minute. But I want to take you back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and give you a little feel. So when they're thinking... And what they've been exposed to. Remember, they don't have a New Testament. They are not looking at the same books you are because, you know, if, the, if they're reading John, then they got the letter because he just sent it to them. That, that's it. If they got First John, they haven't read Second John. And they don't have Revelation. And they haven't read Matthew. And it just, they don't have a New Testament. We do. They didn't. What did they have? They had the Hebrew Scriptures. And they had the word of the apostles and those who had been coming to the Lord, you know, kind of left and right, those guys. And this is from Daniel 7. So we got the prophets, and we're, and we're picking up the scene in heaven that Daniel is talking about. And uh, let me pick up seven, chapter 7, verse 9. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Guess which books those are? Those ones, the little notes been taken, you know. Oh, there's my name there on page 3029. Okay. All right. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a little while longer. Okay, so all this stuff's happening, and Daniel's seeing all these different beings, and, and God, the ancient one, on taking his seat, and angels, millions of them. Verse 13, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the, the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. That's the anointed one. That's the Messiah. That's the Christ. So when we're reading in John... Keep in your mind who he is. Because he's not just another character or, oh, it's Christ. That's like Christmas, you know. I know about that. There's a tree and the presents. No, we have something else going on here. And this, this is him. So when, when John is addressing them and, and he says, I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He's talking about knowledgeable people. They understand who the Messiah is. They understand that he existed before the other gods, before anything else, from the beginning. And they understand that he is the one who's appointed by the Ancient of Days with authority over the whole world, all the nations. That's him. The next part, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Huh. So there's like this spiritual battle going on. Here's the Christ 
the Messiah, the anointed one, in the heavens with the ancient one, gaining authority over the entire world. Then there's a battle that's going on with an evil one. Those two things are going on. And yesterday we talked a little bit about the tendency to read First John and just go, well, it's all about us being good little boys and girls. That's, the, that's what the Christian message is all, all about. No, there is a battle. There's sometimes you can watch some uh, well, TV series or a, a, a movie and they'll, they'll include some kind of, because you're watching it, you get this behind-the-scenes kind of thing. If you watch the old Superman and, and he didn't reveal who his true, his true identity, he could put on a pair of glasses and nobody recognized him. So he, because you're watching the show, you know, oh, that's Superman and these people don't know that that's really Superman and he, he, he's going to save us or save the people on the train or say whatever is going on. You, you are privy to information they don't have. And if you watch the um, Mission Impossible kind of a movie, uh, there's, there's somebody that went and got some loose nukes from the Russians, and they're about to blow up New York City. That's not really part of a movie, but here's this whole flow, and you're watching this thing unfold, but you're privy to the information of what's going on behind the scenes. The rest of the people are wondering why people are driving 120 miles an hour down their street and they're just trying to go to work. And, and they have to get out of the way in Paris and Italy and wherever they happen to be driving these cars. And then the police are chasing them and they're flipping their cars and it's, you know, it's a scene. What are you seeing? That there's more going on, there's something behind the scenes, that there's something about government, there's secrets and spies or superpowers or... And you can watch a movie and go, yeah, oh, yeah, I get that. And then read First John and go, it's just about being good little boys and girls. It's the battle. He's describing the battle. We are talking about Christ, the anointed one, who receives that authority from the ancient one, the ancient of days, sitting on the throne. He has authority over all the nations. There's an evil one who wants to destroy the people in the nations before God gets to them, and these people get it, which is why John's saying this. They get it. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. He repeats it. You know why? They don't have bold in Greek or Hebrew. They double or triple. They'll say it more than once. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. That's how you know. So why is that important? Because he's saying you guys got it. Don't want you to miss that you got it. And he's proud of them. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. God's word lives in your hearts. You have won your battle with the evil one. God's word lives in your heart. Let's go over that because if you do this from uh, different parachurch ministries or Sunday school program, God's word lives in your heart because you were in a program where you memorized lots of verses from this book, which is a good thing. Let's not take away from that. It's just that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about God's word lives in your heart. Do you know who the word is? Jesus, the living word. He is alive in them. So how can they love? God is love. Jesus happens to be God. Love. Where do you get light? God is light. Jesus is light. Where does he live? In their hearts. See how this is building up? God's word lives in your heart, and you have won your battle with the evil one because he can't stand in the presence of the Messiah. And when that light's in us, he's got to deal with his authority. 
That's a whole different thing. So we do a little fruit inspection. That's where we wind up in First uh, John two fifteen seventeen, and this is practicing uh, love for God and practicing not loving the world. That's what's unfolding here, and the tendency, even for believers, which is why he put this in here, is to go eat rotten fruit or become rotten fruit. And you, you, why would we do that? What is the draw? Verse 15, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Is he saying, okay, now you got to just, you got to grunt this thing out. You got to put in strong effort. You got to, it's up to you to just, you know, you, you need to agonize, put in the effort. And, and make this happen. No, you just don't have the love of the Father in you. Well, how do you get rid of the love of the Father? You turn off the light and you let the darkness in. How do you do that? He's about to tell us. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. There's a difference. There's a difference in quality, a difference in quality of life, quantity of life, because you live forever. But the quality of life is that life, that Zoe that he's Greek word he's using for life here comes into us and explodes within us. All we have to do is shut it down with, well, the world's offering me physical pleasure. I think I'll go with that. Whatever that, wherever that leads, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna buy it, and that's what I want. A craving for everything we see, envy, uh, always uh, greener grass. Somebody's, somebody's got something I don't have. I've got to have it. Fear of missing out, that whole FOMO thing that's, that's kind of a popular saying. There's all, all of that. And then the pride. I need the applause. I need people to really recognize who I am and my greatness. Pride in our achievements. Well, if it's not that, then it's what I have. And that can be all, you know, all kinds of things physically uh, with money or Positions, all, all kinds of things that fit into that. Pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And we're told right off the bat, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If you love the world, you don't love the Father. The love of the Father is not in you. The idea here is we want the love of God in us. We want the light. We want the love. We want that reality working in and through us. So sometimes we've got to do a little fruit inspection that may be, um, uh, you know, just take inventory ourselves. Just look at what we're doing, what we think about it, how we feel about it, uh, about the things in our lives, what priorities we've given things. However it is that we've, we, the thing that captures, captivates our time, our energy, our money, if we're more consumed with our landscaping and our gardens than we are with what God is doing and what he's trying to grow, we might be consumed with the world. There's all kinds of things that can come along and just suck up that life and go, well, that's just a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not the love of the Father, though, is it? And he's saying just... Turn on the light. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you because that ain't from the Father and the love of the Father is not in you. So he's given us some heads up and that's part of what he's doing. He's already said, no, you guys are doing good. Just don't let these things happen. Just, just you know, beware. There's also antichrist and antagonist in the church. 
And this is verses 18 to 23. Uh, 1 John 2, 18 to 23. So there's truth and lies he's going to deal with. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. We're going to hit that again. And having the Father and the Son. So all of those things are, are part of this. But there's some warning here as well. So verse 18, dear children. And see how he just keeps coming back to that. He's just an old dude. He just... I just care about you guys so much. And I'm coming back to you. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Uh, we'll stop there for just one second. So when you hear the word Antichrist, because we live in the time of... Um, uh, popular Christian teaching that says that we're about to wrap up this world, Jesus is coming back, and the thing we need to be watching for is the Antichrist. Actually, the thing we ought to be watching for is the Christ. But it's more fun to think about the Antichrist and talk about it and what number and when's he coming and what's that look like and what are the signs. And we're just fascinated with that stuff. Well, back up to the first century. This is the end of the first century. Uh, John knows, knows Jesus. He's been dealing with uh, the evil one, evil ones, for some time now. And he's dealing with antichrists. Did you see that? Antichrists. Is he trying to lay out for us a scheme of end times? No. He's, what he's trying to do is let us know that there are those who are opposed to the Messiah and what he is doing. Who he is, what he's doing. So if we change it to anti-Messiah, would that help? You think about it, so, so you do that end time scheme, you don't have to do that. Whatever charts you've seen about that, just leave that alone. This is about anti-Jesus. This is anti the one that the ancient of days gave authority over the nations the one who rose from the dead that one they are opposed the antichrists the anti-messiahs opposed they're going to fight against it and they will come into the church that's why he's dealing with this that's the warning the antichrist will come into the church so you don't have to worry about, is the Antichrist like when the ten Roman nations emerge in, Rome, in Europe and then from the Carpathian Mountains comes the evil? No, you don't have to worry about it. These are in the church. They're causing trouble. And he's giving us a heads up. Last hour is here, which means we're in this time uh, between the time of Christ coming, the first time and, and his return when, when he wants to come back. For this we know, uh, Antichrist have appeared. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. So are there people who come into church, and then they go sideways, they fight against, they push back, they don't want to hear, they don't want to listen, they don't want to practice, they don't want to intake the love of God in their heart. They don't want the Messiah at work in them. And then they leave. And if you listen to modern church growth philosophy, we are supposed to follow after them and figure out how we can make it more inviting in the church so that they, could, they would feel comfortable. That somehow seems wrong. They're anti-Christ. There's a problem here. They are pushing against the one who is life himself, who is truth, who is offering a whole new way to live. And they don't like it. But they left. And it proved they didn't belong with us. But you're not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit. And all of you know the truth. Again, he's, he's patting them on the back. The Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. 
And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has all the authority that the Ancient of Days, sitting on his throne, handed him. It's those people. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Ever run into anybody who denies the Father and the Son? I bet you never thought that was an antichrist. It's biblical. I didn't make it up. It's a serious thing. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. Anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It kind of puts it into a new framework. So Antichrist, antagonist in the church, This is there will be people who will come into churches and they will be opposed to the Messiah. They will be opposed to the truth. And it doesn't take very long. You can do this on Google and find churches where they have just departed from when God's revealed truth. And you go, oh, that's really happening. It really exists today. Those Antichrists are out there. Remain in fellowship experience life verses 24 27 this is faithful to god and his truth get that out of this fellowshipping with god the father jesus and the holy spirit these are all parts of what's unfolding here so verse 24 so you must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning if you do you will remain in fellowship with the son and with the father now, if you're reading 1 John as if he wrote it to you in October and you're going, oh, yeah, I remember what I learned at the beginning. Don't do that. This is written to first century people and we don't know what they learned at the beginning. Apparently, whatever it was, John is saying, you guys, you got taught well. That was good. That was some good stuff. Maybe he taught him himself. Whatever it was, he says, you learned the truth up front in the beginning of this whole thing. So when you came to Christ, you were trained in the right stuff. Don't read that and think, oh, yeah, that's me. I got it. Because uh, there's a good chance we don't got it. And then we're in trouble. So he's writing someone else. We have uh, the op opportunity to look at that written material and learn something so that's what we want to do but we can't assume that we knew that from the beginning if you do you remain in fellowship with the son and the father and that's again fantastic and in this fellowship we enjoy the eternal life he promised what i thought eternal life was after you'd be dead on the other side of dead and that's not what's happening so in the fellowship, you think you can sit around the tables, have a meal, and enjoy this incredible thing, the eternal life you promised. How do you do that? Because that God we're talking about, the Word is life. He moves inside. There's light, love, new connections, new ways of thinking, new ways of relating, connected to God, connected to other people. You can sit around the table and enjoy the eternal life that's coming, but you can enjoy it now. That sounds good. That's pretty cool. Available to us, just like he promised. Verse 26, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. There's a bunch of them. But you have received the Holy Spirit. You've received the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. You don't need anyone to teach you what's true. For the Holy Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. The Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. Here's the kicker. These guys knew how to listen to the voice of God. They knew how to listen to the Holy Spirit so that when he taught, they were listening, they could take notes, they'd know the truth. It wasn't some vague impression. It wasn't, well, I think this is right. I'm not sure. I'm just in a quandary. 
the Holy Spirit's never been in a quandary. There is the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of the reality of truth that is at work. And that's what he's talking about with these people. Because they were walking with the Lord. They've been taught the good stuff from the beginning. They have grown up and matured. They have dealt with the evil one. And they are still walking with Jesus. Now there's a bunch of them that were antichrist and they left. And apparently they can come. Some of them may wander in again. But these guys know the truth and they can spot it. Because they, they've been taught well. And then the Holy Spirit's operating within them to further teach them. Jesus said, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. There's things I don't have time. I got to go. So you can't take it all in right now. But I'm going to send you the Spirit. He's going to teach you. And he's going to take you further. So that's coming. Well, it happened. This is them. This is a group. And he's able to teach. Because you can read this. And I've had people tell me this verse and say, see, I don't need no teacher. I don't need no commentaries. I don't need no book. I don't need this book because I've got the Holy Spirit. And whatever comes into their mind is truth. And if you've hung out with those people very long, you know how much truth they know and how enjoyable that is. Ah, But it happens. But that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen to the Holy Spirit. What he teaches is true, but it's going to be in line with what the Father and the Son have said. It's already in Scripture. And then he says, do just what he taught you and remain in fellowship with Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Wow. (laughs) Some buzzing over there. Okay. God's children, we'll wrap it up with this. Now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. So, kind of lining up with him. This section, the last little bit there, ties in really well with the next chapter. So, we'll kind of pick that up then. Because we got chapter 3 tomorrow. Fellowship with God. 1 John 2, we wrapped up tonight. So, there you go. You got thoughts, questions, comments, ideas?